May 4th, 2014. It was one of the happier days of my life. Let me tell you this. I live in a house that is divided. And what I mean by that, you might notice every now and then that you see those license plates on the fronts of cars that has a house divided. And maybe it's Georgia and Georgia Tech. Maybe it's Auburn and Alabama. I don't know why that would ever be divided. Or maybe it's Florida and Florida State. But in my house, we're not divided when it comes to college. My wife loves Auburn. She has family members who went to Auburn. She even had a granddad who taught at Auburn. I went to Auburn. Basically, my whole family went to Auburn. And so we're not divided in that case. But we are divided when it comes to school. High school, middle school, elementary school. My wife, she attended the Lowndes County school systems. I attended the Valdosta City school systems. We have a son who just turned three years old, so now all of a sudden that topic gets brought up quite often. Now we currently live in the city, by the grace of God, and I don't have a mailbox in the county somewhere, and I don't have a family member that is going to be able to pull some strings to get me into any county schools, and I'm okay with my children, let me say it again, I'm okay with my children attending Valdosta City Schools. I need to say that in a very heavy Lowndes County School Church. I'm okay with that. But May 4th, 2014 was a very happy day in my life because of a text that I received from my wife. So I just want to show you this picture of what she sent me. If you'll put that picture up. It says, Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be plowboys. My wife was shopping at Greek Row and she sent me the picture of this shirt and the caption underneath, and I quote, she said, do you want me to get Bauer this shirt? Question mark. And the great part about this is she was being serious. There was no facetiousness in this. There was no sarcasm. She was legitimately asking if I wanted Bauer to have that shirt. And my reply to her was capital Y, capital E, capital S, exclamation point. Yes. Now, ultimately... We didn't end up getting that shirt. But she did buy Bauer a different shirt that had Valdosta Wildcats on it. I think that story shows a great picture of what submission looks like. As I say that jokingly, but I sort of don't. But we are going to embark on this endeavor today as we look at what biblical submission is and why sometimes it can be controversial and what it looks like in different settings. Whether you're single, whether you may be in a, in a marriage relationship of people who are unequally yoked, a Christian and a non-Christian, what does this look like? We're going to embark on all of these today and the meaning and understanding biblically of what submission is. Because I think if you understand that better, I don't think it becomes controversial at all. 
I don't think anywhere within Scripture there is any controversy with what these verses are saying. Because it's mentioned in other parts in Scripture as well, over and over and over again. But I think what happens is the definition gets messed up, or the way that it's handled, and so then we begin to have a problem. So look with me again back in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24. And I'm going to read that again for us. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I want to give again just a little background of Ephesians, as I've done before. I'm not going to go as as in much depth as I did before, but I think the background helps in the understanding and in the context, understanding the context. First, we must understand that ultimately Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesus, Turkey at the time. He was there previously and he had planted this church. And then he had left to go plant some other churches, and then he would hear good and bad things about his church, and then he would write letters back to them, giving them some doctrine, giving them some teaching of God, some theology, also instructing them on ways to live. Because what we see in Ephesians chapter 1 through 3, we see a lot of doctrine there. We see a lot of theology that is taught to strengthen the church. But then as it goes into chapters 4, 5, and 6, we begin to see this word repeated over and over again, walk, walk, walk. So now all of a sudden you begin to have the application of what he said in the first three chapters. So we're going to look now here, obviously, in Ephesians chapter 5, in the walk section of Ephesians, and how we need to live our lives and what this looks like, what's the practical applications of this. But before we even go there, one thing that we need to do is I want to go and look back in the beginning. I want to go and look back at why this topic of submission is even controversial. Why is there even a problem with it? What is going on here? How did it even get started? So to do that, we must go back to Ephesians. I mean, my bad, to Genesis. So turn with me, if you will, to Genesis And we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. I see Brian do this a lot. He goes back to Genesis and takes it back to the beginning. And I want to do it as well because I think it helps us to understand where this problem began. This is on page 3 of your Bibles if you you have a pew Bible. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And this is, happens right after Adam and Eve sinned against God. Right after they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the woman ate of it, she handed it to her husband, and sin entered the world. And now here are the words from God to the woman. He says, to the woman, he said, God said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Women, I'm sorry. I truly am. I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. 
Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now, I'm going to tell you, for the most part, I enjoy this translation except for the very last one. That section that says, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, I don't think that's a good translation at all. I think it says it better in the New English translation. Now, don't hear me wrong. I love the ESV, and I support the ESV, but that's one verse where I would change it, okay, where I would go with a different translation because it just makes it a little bit more clear. So in the New English translation for that last part, it says, you will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. Let me say it again. You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. What you've got to understand that in the very beginning, everything was dark, everything was void, the earth was ultimately in chaos, God came around and he took it and he formed it and he shaped it and he made everything good. He created man and he created woman and everything was perfect at one point in time in the garden. But then ultimately sin entered the world. And then right after sin entered the world, what do we see is going to be the struggle for woman? She is going to want to control her husband. Now, you've got to understand, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. There's going to be times in your life as a wife that you're going to want to control your husband due to the sinfulness that we have inherited through Adam and Eve. Ever since we saw that happen where Eve went and took and ate of that fruit, and the question becomes, where is her husband? I'm sure you've heard this before. He was standing right beside her being very passive, as men tend to be, now all of a sudden, what happens? The roles have been reversed. The woman wants to control the relationship, and the man lets her do it. And so we have a huge problem. Because then all of a sudden, what happens? What was good, what was right, now all of a sudden becomes chaotic again due to the sinfulness that has entered the world. So for some of you in this room, for some of you ladies who are wives in this room, you may struggle with that. You may want to control the situation between your husband and you. And that's going to be a battle that you're going to fight daily. And your husband is probably going to be like, yeah, fine, do whatever you want to do, I don't care. Because that's a battle that he's fighting every day. He's giving in to that passivity and allowing it to happen. When ultimately that's not the roles that husband and wives are supposed to play in a marriage. I don't even want to say biblical marriage because God invented marriage. So without God being in your marriage, it shouldn't even be a marriage. So now let's turn back. Now that we understand that, let's turn back to Ephesians 5. And let's look at verses 22 through 24. We can see here in verses 22 through 24, we can see there's one great command that God gives the women in marriage, and that is to submit. And there's one great command that God gives to the husband, and that is to do what? As we talked about last week, love. I'm going to tell you, I have never met a godly 
Christian woman who has had any problem with submission if her husband is loving her correctly? I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there to you. I've never met one. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but I've just never met one. If both of them are truly seeking the Lord, I don't see how they would have any problem with that. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Let's understand this word a little bit better because I think in the understanding of the word, there comes peace. Submit in the Greek is a word called hupotasso. Hupotasso. It is a Greek military term which ultimately means you are putting things in order. So the head of the army is taking his people who are underneath him and he's putting them into a order. That's where we get that term submit and hupotasso. So let me give it to you in this way. We have a lot of military families that are in this church. You probably understand this better than I even understand it because I've never been in the military before. But basically, you, let's say you take a captain and you take a private. A captain ultimately is higher ranked than a private, and a captain tells the private what to do. I want you to understand that this all has everything to do with order, and it has nothing to do with value. I want you to understand that in the beginning. Because you've got to understand that private that is taking orders from that captain, he has the same value. And ultimately, we all have the same value as being image bearers in the Imago Dei of God, being made in the image of God. And you know, that private may have the same ability or even greater ability in certain areas of his life than that captain. But it's not his role to tell the captain what to do. Ultimately, that role has been given to the captain. And the reason that role has been given to the captain, ultimately is because it's based off of order. And as we see in the beginning, man was created first, then one man was created out of man's rib. So therefore now wives are called to submit to their husbands. And I want you to understand this. It has everything, and hear me say this, please, everything to do with order and nothing to do with value. Both of you are very, very important in God's eyes. But the way that God has set it up, He set it up so that man is the head of the household. And we can see this playing out even within the Trinity. We have God the Father, we have God the Son, we have God the Holy Spirit. God the Father ultimately sent God the Son, and then God the Father, God the Son sent God the Holy Spirit. And when God the Son was walking around on this earth, He had to submit to the will of His Father. But yet they are all still, ultimately, God, three in one, the Trinity. If you don't believe in the Trinity, then you're not Christian. So I hope you can understand the diagram and the way that that works it out. Yes, there's still some mystery about it. Yes, it's still hard to understand. And yes, we can't make a direct correlation between husband and wife and the Trinity, obviously. There's a lot of ways where that is a much greater relationship. But in the same way, you can see it playing out as well. 
But it also says here what? It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As a Christian, you need to submit first and foremost. This is man and woman. You need to submit ultimately to the Lord. And so if your husband is trying to get you to do something that is sinful or that is ungodly, then ultimately you submit then to the Lord. But then he wouldn't be loving you very well, would he? Especially not like Christ loved the church and died for the church. So those of you that are single and you're sitting in here and you're wondering, well, what am I going to get out of this? Well, one, maybe one day you will not be single. But the also the other thing is the fact that your ultimate submission is to the Lord. You've got to understand that and you've got to know that. And now the question becomes, okay, well, what about in those relationships of people who are unequally yoked? What about they were, neither of them were Christians when they got married, and now the woman is a Christian and the man is not? What, what do we do then? Or maybe they got married and she was a Christian and he was not. Even though the Bible instructs not to do that, it still happened. And there's reasons because why? Because obviously the standard that you live by is totally different in that marriage. But I know some of you are in this situation, and some of a lot of people in the world are in this situation as well. So what do we do with that, Joby? Am I still called to submit to them, even though they may not be Christians as a woman, as a wife? What happens then? I'm glad you asked. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. It's on page 1015 in your pew Bible. 1 Peter 3, verses 1 and 2. It says, Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands... So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Let me read it again. Likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. What an amazing and awesome opportunity that those wives have. They have the amazing opportunity to conduct themselves in such a way as to win their husbands over to the Lord. I pray for those wives daily because I know there's got to be some battles that go on. If I've got plenty of battles in my own relationship, so I'm sure there are battles that go on there as well. And I pray that they conduct themselves in the midst of those battles that they may have in a God-glorifying way so that ultimately their husband can come to know the Lord. That's just an awesome opportunity that they have, an awesome responsibility that they have. There's one instances or a couple of instances that I want to make clear as well as we're going through this. 
I want to make sure that you understand that in the case of an abusive relationship, well, in abuse, am I still just supposed to sit there and let it happen? Because I don't want you to think that since it's a uh, Christian marriage, man and woman are, are Christians, that that doesn't ever happen. Because I guarantee you it does, and I guarantee you it happens with some of the people in this room. But also in the case of a non-Christian and a Christian relationship, and there's abuse in it. So does that mean as, as part of submission, I'm just supposed to sit there and take it and let it happen? No. If there is verbal or if there is physical abuse... The main piece of advice that I would give you is to tell you to get out, not of the relationship, but to get out of the house. And to seek some intervention, to seek some help, to seek some guidance so that you can begin to restore and to reconcile that relationship. I'm not going to sit there and tell you to stay in the house and just take it. And that's your way of conducting yourself in a biblical way. No. Get out of it. Not divorce out of the house. God hates divorce. So I think in all of our abilities, we need to try to not get divorced. I know that it happens. And I know that we have that scenario come up in here a lot as well. I understand that. But that should be the last resort only due to certain circumstances. And the only reason we have those circumstances is because of our sinfulness. Because marriage is ultimately created by God. It is a covenant that we have made before God and before man. And when a covenant was made in the Old Testament, you know what happened? An animal was split right down the middle. Two halves were laid open. Blood was dripped in the center. And both of the parties walked through it. So if you broke that covenant, guess what? What happened to that animal happens to you. But then later on in Scripture, we see where God passes through that dead animal and He burns that sacrifice up. Because those of us that are followers of Jesus Christ, guess what? We don't die anymore now. Now He sent the ultimate sacrifice. He sent the Lamb of God, His Son, Jesus Christ, to stand in our place instead of us dying. A question out of this that may come is, is what is the main point in marriage? What's the whole purpose of it? Yes, the roles are for the husband to love their wives and for wives to submit to their husbands. Remember, it's all about order, not value. And if a husband truly loves his wife, I don't see how a Christian wife is going to struggle with submitting to her husband. But what is the point of marriage? What is the reason that God even created it. Well, I think it tells us this in the section just following, the section that Brian went over last week. It says in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The main point in marriage is for you, your husband and your wife, to be a direct reflection of Christ's love for the church. Isn't that an amazing and awesome responsibility? Not only were you created by God in His image to be image bearers to a lost and fallen and dark world as Christians, but now when you come together as a husband and wife, now you're image bearers of the church. When I was studying through this and reading this this week, that scared me. 
It scared me because of every fabric of my being, I want my son, Bauer, and my son, Groover, I want them to love the church. But I'm reflecting that each and every day that I go home and how I treat my wife, how I treat Rylan. So that hit me right here between the eyes. Because I know there's times that he's seen me not love my wife. I know there's times that he's seen me not treat her in the way, biblically, that I should treat her. So therefore, now, he's looking at the picture of Christ's love for the church, and he's like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with that. You wonder why 18 to 25-year-olds are leaving the church at an alarming rate? I guarantee you they go home, a lot of them. They see the love that their mom and dad have together, and they said, you know what? If Christ loves the church like that, I don't want anything to do with it. That's scary. And that scared me. And I've got to get on my knees daily to make sure that I treat my wife in the way that God would want me to treat her. Because ultimately we are under submission to Him, to God, first. And I want my sons to love the church. And I want my sons to be a part of the church. But it all starts with me loving my wife. Your greatest need today as two Christians in a marriage, man and a wife, is to reflect Christ's love for the church. Your greatest need today, if you are not a Christian, is to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. Because if you don't have your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ, then ultimately everything I just said is foolishness to you and you could care less. So my hope and my prayer is that God would draw you to himself, those of you that are not Christians in this room right now, and that you would realize and understand of what Christ has done for you and how much God loved you by sending his only begotten son to walk on this earth and live a perfect sin-free life, but yet to get up on a cross, to die the most worst way possible, ultimately for the sins of the world. And then on the third day, he rose from the grave and he defeated sin, he defeated hell, he defeated Hades. And ultimately now, those of us that have put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, we defeat those things also through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Your greatest need as a non-believer is to put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. Your greatest need as two believers in a marriage is for husbands to love, wives to submit, and to be a direct reflection of Christ's love for the church. There is no controversy in this issue found in scriptures. I can't find it anywhere. I read an article the other day, People Magazine article, and it was an article uh, about Candace Cameron. Candace Cameron, uh, she was the oldest sister on Full House. Her name was DJ Tanner. I just dated myself by knowing that information. 
but she had an article the other day where she talked about her relationship with her husband and how she was okay with submitting to her husband because she was a Christian and that's what the Bible told her that she needed to do. Well, People Magazine dubbed this as a controversial topic, as a controversial issue because some feminist group decided to write her these letters and send her these emails telling her basically she was wrong. But yet there was other articles within that magazine that talked about homosexual marriages and there was nothing said about it being controversial. That's the world we live in. That's what we get up here and fight against every single day. Because you get fed a bill of lies through the magazines you read through the TV that you watch, and all of a sudden your worldview gets skewed, and now all of a sudden what do you want to do? Wives, you want to control your husbands, right? Men, you want to be passive and not love your wives like you should. And that's the battle that we fight every day. And that's why as Christians we've got to wake up in the morning. We've got to get up early. I love the men who got up early in the Scriptures. And we've got to read our words, we've got to pray, and we've got to fight against the schemes of Satan. Because you, by yourself, Satan will defeat you every single day. But you, with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you, Satan has already lost. If you're sitting there today and you realize for the first time that you know what, I don't know if I'm a believer I don't know if I have put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone. We're going to have an opportunity, a response time, for you to talk to some of the pastors and some ladies will be back there as well. Also, if you're sitting here today and you are a believer and you're in a marriage relationship and you're saying, you know what, my marriage is absolutely in chaos right now. I'm trying to control my husband because my husband is being so passive. And then all of a sudden we're, we're getting in fights all the time or whatever the situation may be. There's so many other situations that could come up. I want to give you the opportunity to right now to stay where you're at and to pray in your seat or you can come up to the altar as well or you can come and talk to one of us back there if that's what you desire to do also. But we're going to have this time of response. And we're going to take this time to pray. And I hope you realize your greatest needs today. Remember, it's a matter of order, not value. And it's a direct reflection of Christ's love for the church. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for everything that you have given us for everything that you have done for us in our lives, God. I thank you so much, Lord, for instructing us through the book of Ephesians of the role of men and women within marriage, God. And Lord, I just pray that you will continue to allow us to try to understand that and to live that out daily in our own lives. And I pray, God, that you'll begin to break down our hard hearts and that you will begin to teach the husbands in this room of how we love. And you'll begin to teach the wives in this room of how to submit. And Lord, I pray that you will be with the Christian marriages in here, God, 
And that, Lord, we may become a direct reflection to the rest of the world of Christ's love for the church. So that more and more people will come to know you and to seek you and to love you in everything that they do. We pray this in your Son's precious name, through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Amen.